On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're gonna talk about how to bring your maintenance department in-house. We're gonna talk about the benefits, the drawbacks, the good, the bad, the ugly. That's next on Bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that are important to real estate entrepreneurs. I am your host, Gwen Aspen. I'm here with my lovely spouse. (laughs) This one. I'm that one. Jeremy Aspen. And we have an awesome show for you today because I've seen this topic on every property manager Facebook page, and it is how do you bring maintenance in-house? What are best practices? What are tips and tricks? We're going to go over the good, the bad, the ugly, um, and we're going to tell you stories, and this show is going to be good for anyone trying to bring maintenance in-house, or if you're already doing it and you want to compare notes, this episode is for you. And so... Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim, and Anaquim helps property management and real estate firms uh, transform and scale their companies to uh, dramatically improve profitability. Whether you need a virtual assistant or a 24-hour call center for maintenance, leasing, and call overflow, uh, or you just need back office support, give us a call, Anaquim. And if you are a fan of the show, share with your friends, like, subscribe on YouTube, leave us a nice message and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love the feedback. We will send a book to the most insightful review on Apple Podcasts after the show. And stay tuned till the end to hear more about our book giveaway. So, Jeremy, back to our topic of maintenance. So, you've Brought in maintenance. Yeah, so one thing, like when we go around to those conventions and everything, that is one of the main topics people talk about because a lot of companies are small enough that they don't really know how to broach the subject, how to bring maintenance in-house, and, and so they're always making it, trying to make a decision about whether or not it's the right time to do it. That's what we can do with this episode, try and make it so that people can walk through that process of knowing whether or not it's time to do it, whether they did it too soon, or whether they just should have done it a long and, time and just ago. learn from our mistakes. So, yeah. Yeah. so anyway, um, when so let's talk about Wistar Group Property Management Company, the company that you manage. When did you guys decide to bring maintenance in house, and tell us about that? So it would have been you know, like everybody when you're starting up the company. One of the things I think you're most afraid of is having employees. <laughs> it is because you know it's me, it's my partner. And anybody else that we can kind of sucker in, sucker in to get in, uh, on this journey with us. And we're all working as independent contractors, especially having come, uh, which is most often the case, from the real estate industry where everybody's used to being an independent contractor. So the it really kind of boiled down to you know, we, we strapped up our boots and kind of just did what we had to do. We would dispatch vendors. We ran into a couple of people. Um, over the course of the years that uh, the first couple of years that just wanted to work and so they mostly just started working for us they would track their time on a piece of paper how many hours they worked and then we would at the end of the day write them a check as if though they were a contractor and everybody uh, there are tons of people that are doing that and 
so what happened over not too much longer, it became pretty clear that these people that were contracting were either doing things our way or they were having to just leave. Well, that's... That's, that's a problem. The moment when yeah. it's like you're riding that fine line between an employee because you're like, hey, you should take this fair housing class. And they're like, I don't work for you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Or they don't want to go to work that day, but you told people that you needed work to be done mm-hmm. and or you were going to get it done. And well, that's it. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't force the issue. Right. Um, and if you did, then you're kind of breaking the law. Right. And so I got a little, we got a little bit scared of that and, and made the decision, okay, we're just, at, we're actually going to have employees. Okay. So describe what you brought in house and what at Wistar Group still is done out of house. Cause I think that's an important distinction. It's not like we do everything. Yeah, that's true. We do everything that we can reasonably expect full-time employment for. That's probably the breakdown. So like having a a guy that just really has a a loaded tool belt that can do a lot of- Handyman. Yeah, a good handyman. Um, That that guy you can keep busy when you just have uh, maybe 100 unit, 200 units. They can can be a part of either the maintenance and or the the uh, turnover process so that that's kind of the first one you go to you want to get somebody that's um that that can really kind of do everything and over the course of time you and you always get as many of those guys as you can and then uh, we also started to do enough hvac work over the course of the years that we have a licensed um, hvac guy and so we have an hvac essentially we have an hvac company Mm -hmm. company. Um, so you don't do snaking though no, we did that for a little. So snaking the drain. Uh, it seems so alluring that that might be an easy one because there's always so many plumbing issues. But Especially in Omaha. So our housing stock, we should say, is generally older. In the Midtown area, yeah. So, but, but so there's a just, lot of snaking issues there. And there's also, so you've got a small snake, medium snake, big snake, and a really big snake. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, and it's like, where is it going to be? Is it going to be in one truck? Well, if it's in one truck and you're all over the city, then you can't really get there as quickly as you'd want to anyway. Those things always break if you don't know how to use them. And eventually, you know, our $3,000 machine broke and we just threw it in, threw their towel in and just said, now nah, let's So we still that. outsource snaking. What else do you outsource? Uh, so almost all... Plumbing, any certainly anything that requires a license and all electrical because it's just too dangerous to mess with, um, and any big general contracting work. So we might have a quarter of a million dollar job for putting new decks on apartment buildings. Those we will hire out. We'll, we'll, we'll get bids for and kind of just general contract it. And when applicable, and we have guys that are available, we'll put them on the job if they're the right fit. But otherwise. Uh, the, the takeaway, though, is um, I think don't be afraid to turn people into employees. It's really easy. 
You know, we use Alliance Group, and they work, I think... They're um, an employee... What is A professional employer organization. And so your employees actually work for them. They handle all the HR. And then you pay them, I think, some sort of a monthly fee to do all of the administrative work. And when we did our comps on that, it ended up that we saved so much money in workman's comp that it actually paid for the payroll service and the essentials. So one of the other benefits of using a PEO in this case is like if you have someone drunk on the job or someone doing drugs or someone with inappropriate photos on their on their phone then you or can videos yeah of themselves <laughs> not that that ever happened never never yeah. happened but then you can use them as your hr group and be like okay so what's the next step how do i get this person you know tested to see if they are drinking on the job and they can kind of be a consultation and that makes it easier when you're just getting started. Also, you need a handbook if you're gonna have a bunch of employees, so they generally have at least some kind of handbook for you to use in the meantime until you really hash out all your policies the, on that kind of stuff. But the workers' comp thing, that's the that was the no-brainer for me because we joined, you know, we were a team of, let's call it 20, whatever, 20, 30 people, and we joined the PEO which has like, I don't know, 10,000 employees. So they were able to negotiate or make us part of other similar industries. And we had a workers comp package that it, we made money using the PEO um, that uh, uh, contrasted with when we didn't. Like it made that much of a difference in the workers comp because workers comp in some of these areas of work, when you get audited, are up to 20% of your, of your invoicing. Mm. So you, you can, like if it's roofing or it's gutters, something like that, 20% of whatever you invoice out would go to workers' comp. And if you don't have workers' comp and you get audited, then you have to come up with the money that pays there. So it's just a good idea to pay workers' comp. Um, but that helped. Cool. Okay, so I want to talk about the benefits of bringing maintenance in-house. So we, we do bring in more revenue because of it. You want to talk about that? A lot. <laughs> yeah, so like that's... Uh, there's one of our competitors uh, here in town does actually prefer to think of main, of management as a loss leader for the maintenance. And while I understand the logic that it'll undercut us every time on the management fee, um, I, I also don't think they do a very good job on the management side. Uh, but the point being that it's worth it. Like, it's it's worth it from a financial standpoint. If you if you want to make more money with your property management company, yes, you should try to be profitable with management. But maintenance is very helpful to top line revenue because it's really the only way you can deploy a high quality service to the field. That's the okay. So let's talk about way. the details about that. Why is it a higher quality service to the field? when you bring maintenance in-house? What are the benefits well, that you've seen? Because you're allowed to control it, one. You're so, not, um, because one, you're doing a whole bunch of stuff internally that you can track. So you can should be able to identify where the person was, what they did, identify when they're not doing what they weren't supposed to do. Um, they can take pictures the, of it. You, you can, can control see the material. Quality. You can check to see if they bought a Snickers bar. Like it's all, all stuff that you can look at and don't need to worry about well, 
and can concern yourself with not passing on to the client or controlling the quality. So uh, another one on that point would be sexual harassment is always a scary thing with tenants. And so you can say to them, like, here's our policy on what's what you can talk about, what you can't talk about. Here's Here are the limits of that discussion. Here's what you do if someone's inappropriate. And you have more control, whereas if it's a vendor, you really don't have control over how they treat the tenant. So, and so and when in a world where five-star reviews make or break property management companies, that's a huge deal. Yeah, and so cheap is expensive also. If you do have a best quality, like a very good quality maintenance team, you can you get to charge a little bit more and you're still a better value for your client, which reduces your headaches mm-hmm. uh, substantially. There was something else you said that I forgot I wanted to mention, but. Another thing is like just simple things like requiring booties when people go into someone's house or making them wear a standard shirt so they look good. Cause a lot of the times, I mean the, I don't know, making sure people look presentable well, so is an issue. The, with like trucks, which we can talk about also, or, or That's the later fleet on vehicles. Um, fair housing. I wanted to touch base on that because if you if if you hire a third party <clears throat> to go out and a tenant shows you her boobs, <laughs> and that happens, and it happens to every man. I guarantee it happens to every management. We've got some stories. Okay. Well, <laughs> do you want to talk about that, guys? Not right now. Um, but a lot of stories on on like boobs and and solicitations, like trying to trade sec- rent for. Sec- if that happens to a vendor and they handle it inappropriately, guess who gets sued? The maintenance. You, the company. agent. Yeah. No, the the property management company. No, gets that's sued. what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Um. So now you can always sue the manage the maintenance uh, company that you hired and probably get somewhere, but um, you're going to be the one that gets sued because you're the one that's responsible for fair housing. I don't think people really understand where they're still liable even when it, when it's a vendor. I feel like people think that they have washed their hands yeah, of so the liability and it's not true. In Nebraska. At least in Nebraska. Is it state by state? You it, think? I don't think it. I think it's actually pretty much everywhere because we have agency. We are the agent of the client. And so in that we are acting on behalf of the agent, if we were to choose on behalf of the client, if we are to choose a bad vendor that makes those kinds of mistakes, it's uh, our fault and vis-a-vis the client's fault. It always falls back onto the client. So the only way to protect, and I think the only way to protect yourself is that if your company has a training system, a certificate or whatever, that can demonstrate that, no, 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 no. If you look at here, we have a certificate that says Bob Jones took our fair housing sexual or harassment sexual harassment prevention class. class. And so we did, we took reasonable steps to protect the tenants. And then the action falls on the person that committed the crime. Well, That's, and then you'd also have to follow up. Like you'd also say, oh, we found out about that. We fired them. Like yeah. you also have to hold people accountable in order for it to. F- Fall through and you process. also have to regularly train them. Like you, it couldn't have been three years and, ago. They took training, stuff like that. And that's part of what. And we're going to talk about best practices later in the show. But th- those are some really good things about why it's beneficial to bring maintenance in. Uh, another big thing would be more control over wait times because 
when you use vendors, they have other clients. So like if you, if they're bad to you and you're like, oh my God, you lied to me. You said you'd be out there. You're not out there. And now the tenant's mad. I lost the owner. They're like, eh, well, you're one of my clients. I did a bad job with you, but I still have income. When you're your employee, they, if, if they do a bad job and you fire them, then they have to go and find another job. So people tend to, to do what they're supposed to do more often. Yeah, and there's a, yeah, because when you have a vendor, especially if they have other clients, there's kind of a nonchalant attitude about, I know I said I'd get it today, but as with a lot of contracting work, it, it didn't happen today. And then it just kind of pushes, or something else came up, it was an emergency. If you have it in your own system, then mm-hmm. you can pick, okay, yes, this is all, like this person does have an important thing to do. This person has a little bit less important thing to do. This person's a little bit closer. You can assess you can, the situation and deploy the assets. And as you needed. can assess it in terms of your clientele. Like, is this owner really high maintenance and they're gonna notice that it was late? Or is this owner a little bit more lax? Or well, oh, is this tenant more understanding? And you can use the whole environment of your business to make a business decision about where somebody goes and what the emergency is, whereas the vendor doesn't care, doesn't have the awareness of the whole system, and they're not as reliable. Well, and if you have a decent software system, you should be able to see that it's three o'clock in the afternoon, this technician that was assigned to the job to be done today is still at their you know two, two jobs prior, that might be a trigger to call them up and say like, what's going on? Or, or do we call have to the call tenant the, and just say- Well, that's what you'd yeah. have to do. You have to call up the tenant uh, or use that as an opportunity to find out what's going on and call up the tenant, give them um, an update and get permission to come late. Because if you're doing that after the, the, the technician was already supposed to be there, Everyone's you're explaining mad. and everybody's mad. And you're Whenever just, you're explaining, you're losing. That's a good rule in politics. Yes. Okay, so another thing is weekend maintenance. So living in Nebraska where we have very little, very few seasons where the temperatures are normal. It's either like crazy hot or crazy cold and you're dealing with those HVAC you know, heating issues we have to make sure that we're responding on weekends to heating and cooling calls. Yeah, I mean, it's not optional for us. And so having more control over weekend maintenance is a huge deal because a lot of a lot of vendors just don't answer the phone. And and I've been around the country and I've seen that some clients uh, do have really good vendors that they can rely on. There are there are some some exceptional vendors. Um, It's not a long term play, though. Like you want to have that kind of a person in your organization because they can handle everything way better and you get all the credit. That that vendor is also sharing that high value service to your competitors. Like if you can have uh, that atmosphere, that culture inside your company and make it a differentiator, mm, then you've got something better than your competition. That's a really good point. The other thing that Again. I know you, <laughs> the other thing I know you love about uh, having maintenance in in house is that you don't have to go through the quoting process, which takes forever. Quoting sucks, <laughs> uh, especially if you're a small quoting. company. Especially oh my when God. you're a maximizer like you, you're like, it took you three days to get out there to make a quote. And yeah. then you haven't even done the work yet? Well, and it's also discourteous to send out a vendor. So a client says, I need three bids. <laughs> it's a leaky pipe. Uh, okay. All right. 
you need three bids, that's fine. So you start to use your equity that you have built up with some vendors and say, hey, could you go check out this leaky pipe? And it's a $95 job. The vendor went out there, identified it as a nothing, but didn't have the authorization to do it, so they left. You've done that to three of your employees, and you, you mean or three, three of, of your, your vendors. Three of your vendors. You send this low bid back, uh, or the one of the three that actually responded, because yeah, no shit, you're going to send that person. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, you know, that's their second trip out there. And so what you're essentially doing is you're inflating your own pricing. You're making, you are half as valuable a client of that vendor as you would be otherwise if you could just send them out that like if you can just understand that it's a leaky pipe it's probably not much let the vendor spend a certain amount of money no problem but just make sure they explain it and uh, they can get back to you with a, an invoice and that the job is done that's so much more valuable than mm. waiting if you have your employees internally doing it you just go out there you get the job done and it costs what it costs provided you're you sent the right employee and all that stuff but you can tell if you did. One of the other things that I love about keeping maintenance in-house is the branding opportunities. Everybody has a beautiful hat, a beautiful sweatshirt, a beautiful shirt. Even our water shutoff um, tags, tags yeah. are branded. Yeah, and even <laughs> like- So beautiful, you guys. So if you go into you know probably 3,000 homes in Omaha, they all have a sticker that says Wistar HVAC. Uh, and the, even when they leave, you know, they leave a card, a survey card, and that's branded. And it just leaves the impression with the tenant that they're dealing with a high quality property management company. And this is an amateur hour. And what I found is when people have confidence in their management company, they aren't as obnoxious. So if they know that you guys are good, they're gonna wait for you to call them because they have confidence in the process. Whereas if their impression is that it's rinky dink, they're gonna babysit you. And that's gonna waste money because for one maintenance call, they're gonna call three times and then your customer service person is wasting that time talking to the same person about the same service issue, which at the end of the day, you only get to invoice for so much. So so we talked about all the positive things about having maintenance in-house. Let's talk about some of the drawbacks because it's not all unicorns and puppies, is it? It's not all <laughs> unicorns and pony puppies. It's, uh, it, the, I'd say the biggest downside is having an infrastructure that can support it. So let's talk about the billing because it is much harder. It's billing. not like you just get the invoice and then you just... Well, so where most, in my experience, where most people kind of get goofed up is they have basically one set of hours for the the billing and something that kind of parallels that for payroll, which really doesn't make any sense because it's really the same time. So uh, we learned a lot. We've actually developed our software to accommodate for that kind of a quirkiness. but. Um, suffice to say that if you have a technician that is clocking in and clocking out of jobs, use that same mechanism to track where they were for that particular job. And then if they aren't there, you're tracking their time as overhead. So it's another job, it's just overhead. And then they clock into another job, it's billable hours. So that you have one spreadsheet that will tell you where the person was, whether it was at a client's property or in your office, you can 
you can identify where they were and bill um bill those billable hours well and not only that so what you're getting at is is somebody making you money or not yeah and and really analyzing with people and then you can talk to them about it like i need you to be way more profitable and I need you to clock in. Like you are slow. Like what? What's up with the smoke break? Like why does it take you so long to get from Actually, one? Actually, and smokers do cost more money. Why does it take you time more time to get from this place to this place? Like if I Google this right now, it should take you 15 minutes, and it took you like 45 minutes. So you can have really good conversations with people to make them more profitable. So the, if you have a good system to clock in and clock out, which our software is Rent Manager, and it has Rent Manager App Suite, and they can click in on their cell phone to clock into jobs, and then they can clock in. This is especially great on the weekends. As soon as they get the phone call, they're clocking into the job, and they're getting they're charging the drive time as well as fixing the job, and then clocking out when they're done. So it's more yeah, that's that's stylistic. I suppose the way that we do it, like dashboard time to the job is billable time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you're billing for the full amount of time because you're, they're going to charge you, you know, that extra amount for working on the weekends to keep them. Yeah, so. which we never finished that part about on-call stuff. But um, yeah, the the being the well tracking the time is probably the biggest uh, headache when it comes to doing it. And you've also got to have some sort of a system that um, supervises the job. So like the smell test, is that what you're talking about? Well, no, yeah, so there's that, but also you've probably got to have a supervisor or a property manager that goes out and inspects at least a certain percent of the jobs that are being done just to help make everybody aware that there is a quality control system in place because just that a quality control system is in place is enough to actually control quality to a very large extent. So do you think that taking pictures at every job and then having oh, someone yeah. review them is enough of a quality control or do people really have to go out there? Yeah, I, you have to go out there. A certain number of the jobs you have to go out there. And it's even better, like in our system, we know exactly where they are in real time and so we can just go out there and see them and it, maybe it looks like they're delayed. A supervisor can jump on the job with them, help them get it wrapped up so they can get the next job done. Um, and having that kind of visibility has all sorts of value. Also, you can, a lot of vendors don't know how to use technology. <laughs> and so yeah. training someone on the technology, having them and requiring them to use it, requiring them to take pictures on every job so that you have that evidence for the owner that things got done, the new toilet that we said we'd install is installed, really helps with owner confidence in the work and uh, also ensures a, another, it's another way of ensuring quality. And I think a big one is communication with the tenant. You, if you have your own employees, you get to have a format, like a script on mm. how you handle the conversation. You call them the day before, for instance, I think this is what we do. You call them a day before to make sure that it's okay and set up a rough time. And then you call them about an hour before you're gonna get out there. And then, um, so if you do that, you keep that kind of a cadence, that kind of a structure, then you're helping it not be an uncomfortable, confusing instance with your tenant. Mm. Because when if you don't show up, like a vendor doesn't show up or a vendor just doesn't have the same cadence for communication as you would expect, 
things start to fall apart because and you don't know what the vendor actually told the tenant. So when the tenant calls to complain, you you're in a he uh, right said, out the she gate said. and you have to say, I'm sorry. And Whereas you if have, you know yeah. that your employees are saying a certain thing, calling at a certain time and it's logged like it is in ours, then you can call their bluff and say, that's that's not true. It looks like we called you at 9.07 and then at 10 o'clock there was no answer. And so, then you don't have to get the technician on the phone to find out what the hell happened. It's in your software. Yep. And this is another reason why having all your calls recorded is a huge deal. Yeah. Because then you can can know like, oh, they were rude to me. Were they? Were they really rude to you? Turns out once in a while you run into some liars. So with the with the app on the phone, so this is another I know we're gonna get into best practices later, but um, if you have a software that allows you to have the phone calls tracked through an app on their cell phone, then it will look like they're calling from your property management company and not their personal cell phone, which is a huge deal because right. they're, if they like the technician and something goes wrong in their house, they're gonna call their cell phone directly. It won't go through your system. And then um, the person's not gonna pick up because it's the weekend and they're not working. And then they're gonna blame you for not fixing their heating in the middle of winter. And you're like, well, you didn't call us. And they'll be like, yes, I did. And it ends up being a disaster. So requiring people to use the app to call people and never give up out their cell phone is a best practice, but I'm digressing. because I did there. not realize. We're not there yet. I did not realize how hard it is to have a maintenance company in-house. In it, it, it actually is. I mean, you do have to be dialed in. You, you do. You have to have processes and procedures. You just have to be committed to doing it right. Because if you're not going to do it right, you can definitely, you can definitely do it wrong. So uh, another thing, so ongoing training is a drawback. You have to have like an annual training schedule. Um, we went over, um, how about safety and liability is always one of the drawbacks too. Um, well, okay, yeah. So yeah, you have to have a training system and safety, we have a safety board and the board meets to discuss things that they've seen out in the field, uh, things that uh, you know maybe they ran into uh, one-off situations just to kind of identify it and process it. Um, because it's a it's a real threat. These guys that are out in the field, uh, they're at at times in a very dangerous spot. We've had an employee die uh, due to a gas leak, um, and but fortunately um, for us and their family, uh, we had done all the right things to train employees about how to handle certain situations. And once, had we not done that, it could have been a really nasty um, lawsuit. Um, but as it turns out, if you do things right in your company and you protect your employees, then you're doing everything you can be reasonably expected to do. I mean, and they felt it, like our employees felt like we were being responsible. Because So the safety committee, committee meets, they talk about problems out in the field, and then they are the ones that devise the training for the group. Mm -hmm. So the train, the new training comes out of that committee and it's, um, there's one manager on it, but it's really employee led for the most part. Um, it, there, it, and we try to elevate people through that process, but we've always been committed to safety. We always want people to stay safe. It was m the worst thing in my career, one of the worst things in my life 
uh, when Clara died, and I don't want to get into it on this show because I'll cry. But um, but I am glad, and I would you know when when things go really really wrong in your company, and you have to live with yourself after that happens. Yeah. Having a safety committee that was uh, working, doing a good job, and you know our efforts to keep people safe uh, kept me from losing my mind. Well, and here's the and here's the truth of the matter. Like if you do get sued for somebody being harmed in your comp uh, on the job and you lose the case, the odds are you probably deserve it. Like you have to put up a wall of protection for you and your employee, like the liability issue, but also the actual safety wall so that people are operating in the most safe environment. I'm obviously OSHA and all that stuff, but you I know that when that incident happened, um, the one thing I was able to tell everybody was that um, if if this was in any way our fault, we're going to pay the consequences and happily. Like if it's a career destroyer, it's just the way it is because she lost her life. Yeah, if we, I lost if my we company, had, I, I, I you would we would have deserved it. Yeah, and I'll take losing my company than than you know she that's, got the worst. That's the of that proper yeah. response, yeah. but. Um, so anyway, the the safety and the liability are real deal things, and I think before you decide to go into maintenance, you've got to be extremely clear on your values as a company, and you have to live them every day because it is dangerous. You are liable, and you are responsible to keep your people safe. And what? if you're not up to the task, and if you have trouble caring about people, you shouldn't own a maintenance company. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, uh, what really are the four ways that people can die in property management? Well, the ones that I train on are fire, carbon monoxide poisoning, natural gas explosion, and a technician being mistaken for an intruder and getting shot. So those are the ones that I'm. we have very extensive training on on the first day. There are other weird ones that can come up, like sinkholes. You know, I... <laughs> I know that's super weird, but it came up um, on a property management Facebook page. Um, at, you know, we don't have those really in Omaha, but but there are other things too. But those are the main ones I've identified, and really, it's just a thoughtfulness, listening to your gut, um, and taking action, and not having a cover your ass. You know, um, the cover your ass mentality in property management is very dangerous. And so yeah. that's something that in maintenance, in customer service, it's easy to get complacent. And in a company culture, it has to be, whenever you see it, you've gotta put the hammer down and be like, uh, that's, not, that's not who we are. So in order to make it feel a little bit less crazy uh, and complicated, what you can do and what we do is that we have, during our one-hour meeting a week, we have a safety point. Somebody puts together a presentation mm -hmm. that, that demonstrates our policy or some training. Some, some training about a particular issue. And over the course of a year or two or three, um, it probably protects people from being harmed, but it also creates a paper trail that you can use to demonstrate that you are not negligent in in training safety to your employees. And, and they sign it, so they know they're being trained. So someone comes up with the training, it's based on what the safety committee comes up with, they have a, a 
an agenda of what they're going to train on. They do the training. Everyone signs it who is there. And the manager follows up with people who weren't there, make sure that they understand the concept. And that's, I was going to get into that in best practices. It, I, go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, and you're, um, if you, it's not that you're pulling the wool over your, it's not like you're tricking them into making a signature to protect yourself from the, from the liability. It's that in having these classes, you are actually protecting them and that you're actually protecting them is a huge defense because you're doing the right thing. Not well, I think the signature also is like, okay, this is serious. Like I need you to pay attention, sign this saying that you paid attention today. You know what I mean? Like it, it's them taking responsibility for the knowledge. And sometimes it's little stuff. Sometimes it's big stuff. Sometimes it's already programmed. Sometimes it's a YouTube video that someone yeah. thought that that's There's some great maintenance YouTube videos. I want to get back into some drawbacks. It takes a lot of work as you can tell from this discussion to create all the processes and procedures and maintenance standards. And so that's a drawback. It's, it's definitely a lot of time. Um, I also want to say working on weekends and holidays, if you're going to take your, if you're going to take maintenance in house, do not be disillusioned. Somebody at your company, uh, more than just the person doing the actual maintenance is going to work on weekends and holidays. Someone in management has to, you have to make sure the calls are taken. You have to ma manage that people are actually going out to jobs. If someone's sick or has an emergency, you have to find a replacement. There is management on weekends and holidays and it has to be accepted and just don't be disillusioned. That's a part of it. I do want to talk about best practices because we've learned some cool things over the years. One is about the apprentice program. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so it's always very difficult um, to hire good maintenance technicians. Because I don't they're know. They're in such high demand. They're in such high demand. And they're and the good ones are busy. So but um, we found that in Putting a position out there as an apprentice for the different sorts of handyman work and stuff inside your own company is a great why a great way to identify um, sometimes younger talent that is ambitious to get into the, the trades. Trade. And they are in that they're ambitious. They're learning new stuff. They 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 pick it up very nicely. They're not asking for the larger hourly rates because they understand that they're in the apprentice program. They need training. They know they, they need, need training. training. And they and they are also using our more experienced guys and gals uh, to to learn from. So there is and they understand that in an apprentice system there the cost uh, of the more expensive employee is being passed down through to them through an apprentice program. So it it's been really neat. And we've got some of our best. Well, so coming. what I like about it is you get to choose based on personality and ambition level rather than technical skills. Yeah. And so, and then you grow those individuals, you make them profitable, you talk to them about the profitability that they are in a really authentic, realistic way. They accept it. And um, it's been beautiful. And it also gives the more experienced guys a chance to really share their knowledge and skills that they've acquired over the years, which makes them happy. So we've found, and if you use the word apprentice in a job description, it's been a game changer for hiring high quality work and developing a high quality maintenance team. 
Right. A next thing I want to bring up is branding. So trucks, t-shirts, water shutoffs, we already talked about that, but a big one is the truck. So can you kind of go through? Yeah, we just went through this. So we're buying five new vehicles this week. And so the question is like, is it actually worth it? There are some real big benefits. One uh, is that when you have seven, eight, nine, or maybe 10 vehicles out there with your logo on it, um, people see it and then they start to feel comfortable with your brand. Mm -hmm. And even tenants, when you show up with a brand that's recognized, they feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, we're obviously all bonded, but they kind of intuitively understand that it's a safer organization to work for or to have work on any of the issues that are uh, that they're there for and the maintenance cost of a vehicle that is new is is predictable you know what your maintenance costs are going to be over the course of the first year second year is a little bit more than nothing which is the first year and then uh, three years okay then you start thinking about maybe uh, rotating it out. But those are big deals because if the guys are driving their own vehicles, which some of ours do, when their vehicles are down, they're, they're usually out getting it fixed. And that is a huge waste of time and it happens all the time. And I mean, I've on several instances, um, I've, I've just paid for tow trucks. Like they're sitting there calling around to their friends to get a tow or something. For $99, I got your toe. The we'll, other we'll thing is those trucks sometimes look like crap. And you're rolling up in a crappy truck and the person is like, do I let this person in my house? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and the saving grace is that they show up in a uniform still. Um, but still. Yeah, but, I would say that maybe there's a good balance of new of their their own vehicles or the, because and we've had people have to earn it like okay you've yeah. been with us for a certain amount of time now you get the company vehicle and their status well and it turns out i'm it. not turning over a fifty thousand dollar vehicle or forty thousand dollar vehicle to just anybody like they tend to be our more trusted um employees and i think it's somewhat of an aspiration for everybody like because they're they're good vehicles like they smell new and they take care of them generally speaking or you make sure they do um, and so I think there's a little bit of a status symbol to it, not just for your employees uh, that they're working for a good company, but also just for your company being yeah. out. That know. branding has helped with Star Group a ton. Okay, so um, I want to just talk about the key performance indicators that you use that have been effective for managing the maintenance department. <clears throat> Main one, the TBR. Okay, tell us what that means. <laughs> no, it's the time build ratio. So it's the per, it's the rate it's the percent of their time that is actually spent on billable activity. So you want it to be uh, you want it to be at least eighty five percent, and that includes tra on average. Right? So that includes training. Um, that includes their overhead. That includes meetings. You know, they're you mean you want them to you, to bill out have eighty five percent of their time being billable. Billed. Yep. And the rest of the time is meetings and training. Right. Yeah, right, right. Okay, uh, and so you use that. Do you have the manager talk to them about each person? Every knows? single week, we publish what the TBR is. Now it's also for each a, individual. For each individual, it's actually uh, part of this billing system that we. It's it's actually if you use Rent Manager, call up Jeremy Yoner and ask for the e billing that was developed by Wistar. They will sell it to you. It is worth. Every penny, and it's 2,000 bucks, and you get your timesheet, which segregates by the job that the technician was on and, and the 
the overhead and it tells you what the tber is right there so if you don't have that get somebody to develop it for you and put it together because you have to have that sort of a measure the other one on time if you you know if a job comes in uh it should be it should be fixed within 48 hours I love it. Just it. And you just, just have standards. You have high yeah. standards and you just maintain the standards and you hold people accountable when they're not there. What about warranty work? Uh, so warranty work, yeah, I mean, when it's identified, the e-billing system has that already. You identify it, how much it is, and you track it as an expense in your books so that you can constantly hammer away at it in your weekly meeting. So there is one theme here, weekly meetings with your maintenance staff, do it and have something very consistent so agenda so you you force the property managers to review all the maintenance billing and then they do a smell test and then if they have to do like if if fixing something that should be 100 bucks comes out 400 bucks yeah so that's where the the warranty work is identified or it's identified because of a complaint or something and then uh, you aggregate it hold people accountable for that kind of work here's the process you have a call that comes in so you have the property managers set the scope of the job the next one is you find you get approval you find out if you have the approval already built into the contract or if it's over that amount you call the owner and get the approval when it's approved it gets dispatched and when it's dispatched it's in production which is when the supervisor manages and then you've got done billing review right the property manager looks at the bill, uh, looks at the job, and says, okay, this is a leaky pipe. Wait, $700, that doesn't sound right. They can research it, find out what happened, add to the content of the bill, or issue warranties, talk to the management, whatever. But eventually, what you do is you get it so that the job makes sense price-wise, you put it over to the billing, it creates the bill for you, and, and, then- and no matter what your process is, what software you're using, that is your process. If you are in property management, that is your step-by-step procedure, like it or not. And then not. the last part is follow up with the team and talk about the things that didn't go well. Yeah. So that they can learn and do better And next that's time. what the weekly meeting is for. And that, so we're getting, that weekly meeting, there's a structure and it includes all of those. This is a good segue to our book giveaway. Cause, okay, cause we're going to we, give we away. Use, we did use the word traction, but when you talk about weekly meetings, that's it's what you traction. mean. It's traction. So, well, and actually, it wasn't always traction. We did this before, too, but but traction gives you that. Yes, it, it allows for a good format for these types of meetings. So the book that we are going to give away to the most insightful comment on Apple Podcasts and five-star review, if you're so inclined, um, will be yeah. Traction by Gino Wickman. Any final thoughts about maintenance, Jeremy? If you're looking to, if you're trying to make a decision about whether or not to bring maintenance in-house, the answer is yup. (laughs) Well, we'll end with that. See you next week here on Bootstrappers. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.